how are you? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good as well. Um, so we have an interesting um, subject matter today. Um, can we blame our parents? Um, so the question is, will out of today's session, will our parents actually survive this podcast? So, I'm, you know, I'm just kind of intrigued and interested by this. So will, will, will our parents make it or not? Um, and also, is there a short answer for this? Um, is it yes or is it no? And if so, which direction do we go in? Let me just reassure everyone, no parents has been harmed in the making of this podcast, or shall be harmed, I, I hope. Um, well, we, we were kind of joking around before we start, and we were talking about, like, also in our own team, should, should we blame our parents? And there are some very quick answers, like yes, maybe no. And I kind of took it back a little touch, because I, as you know, I came up with this topic. I was thinking, why are we blaming? They're like, well, why? What is there to blame? Why? Why do we feel the need that we have to blame something or someone, or something on someone? What? What is the motive behind it? What's the emotions and like? What are the things that we want to blame? I, I think it's actually very important to blame. Um, if I look at all the yoga texts, all of them start with, you know, e either an idea that we're in a sense of transference or projection or we are blaming or creating excuses. So in fact, the opening of most yoga texts, if I take a text like the Bhagavad Gita, we've actually got blame excuses. Um, and all of it means that we're actually deeply embedded in our narrative and our suffering, and we don't know which way to go. So there's a lot of confusion, a lot of mental instability. And actually, it's an ordinary, mundane reaction, a place from where you don't actually see things very clearly. So I think that um, actually by starting with an idea of blame and and blame, what does that talk about? Does it is it is it looking at responsibility or putting responsibility of something onto someone else? And also, does it look at expectation as well? And so, I'm, I'm kind of interested in why why we're looking at blame. And also, um, I wondered if our parents will survive this uh, podcast. So you're still pondering that question. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> in terms of the medical world, we we think about causality. We think about risk factor. We think about attribution. We always talk about how family history increased your own risk and things like. And obviously, there are things like inherited disease, genetic disease, familial disease, where we are blaming our parents basically because oh, because they have that now, I have that that too. Um, there are risk factor, there are environmental factor, and all these things that are kind of the constant and age-old question of nature versus nurture. Hello again. Uh, uh, I, I wanted to just hang on a second. So there are there are cases where we can actually blame our parents. So when you're talking about something like genetics, you can, you know, if there's something genetic, you, you can say, well, actually, I can blame my parents because I've got this condition because it's a genetic condition and it's handed down this way. So as a medical practitioner, you kind of, you know, there's an attributed blame towards in, into this area. Does that make sense? Is that correct? Yes, and it is correct. Okay, so that's the first side of it. Can you explain a bit, bit more about that for us? Well, in terms of the genetic, genetic side, I can't speak tonight, genetic side. Genetic side. Um, so yeah, I think most people know we have like about 23 pairs of chromosomes, um, usually one from each parent. There's an X and there's a wrong Y somewhere, which is what we call the sex chromosome. Mm. And, you know, whichever chromosome that you inherited determine your characteristic, your sometimes your mental health a little bit, sometimes your physical health, sometimes even your um, personality to a certain degree as well. Um, and, and it's just very interesting 
that how it's, it's kind of all a bit of a mix mash. And we all very, uh, all, most of us already know about like what genetic and how it works. But as I'm doing psychiatry, that's a really interesting concept is called heritability. Where it's kind of like how, how much of each characteristic is really contributed by the genetic itself and how much of it is actually done by the environment. Because as I was saying earlier on, alluring to is about the nature versus nurture, isn't it? Mm. So things like our religious belief, uh, language spoken, uh, most of the time we say these are not genetically controlled per se, it's very environmental. Whilst the things like height, eyes, color, intelligence, schizophrenia, autism, and things like that, these are the, some of the diseases that have really strong genetic links, their herit um, heritability is much higher. So it kind of really depends on, as some, some of our characteristics really depends on who our parents is, who our family is, some really depends on the environment. And I thought that was very nice contrast because over the like recently we had a discussion about how in yoga we have in yoga there is a concept about how we carry on is it seven generations of yeah. inheritance so, in us? Yeah, yeah. So you've got seven generations because because the thing the question I think to ask is is why why is the concept of blame of interest to us? You know, because in one way you're saying that actually it's quite good to have blame within medical history. Um, because actually you can say, well, this, this is a cause, there's a causality that's happening within this. Um, and within this causality, it means that we're looking at actually patterning that is present within the body. And you're talking about genetic patterning that's present within the body and attributing that genetic patterning, which yoga looks at and says, well, we actually we carry three sets of genetic patterning and they come from three different places. And one, sorry three sets of patterning, one of them is genetic. Apologies for my miss, miss, my slip up there. So we've got these three sets of patterning and we've got one of them that comes from the genetic side. So seven generations that come down on both sides and are within us. And actually with those seven, gener seven generations of genetic patterning within us is one aspect of the patterning that we contain. We've then got two other aspects. The, 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 the second aspect is the aspect of what we're educated or we're learnt as we grow up. So this idea that we've, um, with, our, with our parents or with the outside environment or any type of form of education which is put onto us, then we've got some patterning that is played, you know, is put onto our in, into us with this. And then we've got a third set, which is the ones that we and the rules that we put in place to navigate this whole thing. So for me, as a yoga therapist, I'm looking at those three things. And you've touched on one thing. And I think that when we start to get this idea of can we blame our parents, we are not looking at blame just as one thing, which is genetic, but also we're looking at other stuff with this as well because there's turmoil that comes up with blame there's a reason that we actually come to blame things we're actually looking for something when we're blaming aren't we it's it's you know if you're thinking about with regard to genetics we're looking for something if you're looking with regard to let's say the way that we've been taught something or we've learned something or been told something there's a response to that we're looking to blame in a particular way or we're using blame in a way to navigate our situation so can we expand a little bit more on that from a, a Western perspective? Of course, I we're definitely going to touch on why and how that part comes in as well, because I think let's dig into the physical thing and how we take a medical history, like if genetic disease 
a lot of the time we're using that, using your family history almost to understand yourself. Like, why am I having this problem? Like, say, if I have diabetes and that runs in the family, it's almost like a mechanism that we understand ourselves, where this may come from. Now, what you touched on, which is more slightly more the environment around us, the society, the, the value that was placed upon us, mm. is slightly different. It's the same vibe, but slightly different because it has a lot more emotion attached to it, much more memories attached to it, much more... Uh, sometimes I call them the mucky stuff attached to it because when we think about it, like we can't, don't really want to think about how our childhood is in some way. We don't want to remember certain things that our parents have said to us in the past when we are more vulnerable and tired and frustrated and angry or sad, whatever it may be. And I think, I think before I get, open it a little bit more, this poem that I kid you not has been suggested to me by two separate people once they found out the topic of this podcast uh, gave to me and basically urged me to quote is a poem called This Be The Verse by Philip Larkin. I'm sure you know it already and lots of people know it already. I apologize in advance, I'm about to swear and I'm only gonna do the verse first, but please look it up if you are interested. It's This Be The Verse by Philip Larkin. They fuck you up, your mom and dad. They may not mean to, but they do. They fill you with the faults they had and add some extra just for you. And, and I, I find it so interesting because it talks a lot more about than just the physical and the genetic stuff that they gave us it's more about the parenting as well it's what's their style how mm. the, how does one thing lead to another because it almost it's not almost it talked about how they were being parent themselves as well so like you said earlier on it's seven generational things it's how they were parented when they were children what things they have been through maybe what trauma they have been through and then how they then took these lessons in their own life and parent us going forward is that the sort of direction you're thinking of, Colin? Yeah, I think this is an interesting direction because are, are, are we? Is it that we discover that things were acceptable at a particular time, but no, sorry, they weren't acceptable at a particular time because actually we've kind of evolved or we've changed within our approach. So. You know, if a situation in society changes, if our beliefs change, if we, we sort of evolve as people, suddenly we look back and we kind of go, actually, that wasn't acceptable. You know, actually, that that really caused this, that really did that. And so is it that actually we're destined to blame our parents and blame other people? And then how does that actually take our power away? Does it disempower us when we actually blame people? Or is it necessary to actually create a blame or put a blame on things? Because like you say, we've got on the one side of it where we've got, um, let's say, a genetic disorder. We've got that genetic disorder, but we still have to come to terms with the fact that we have that disorder. We have diabetes or we have a predisposition to cancer. Do we go and blame our parents for that? What can we do about it? Is it possible to reverse it? Is it possible to change it? Is it possible to live alongside it in that way? And then in a similar way, is it that what's happening is that we have discovered what was unacceptable at the time that we accepted at a later stage? And then what can we do about it? How is it embedded in us? And like you say, with the sticky stuff, where you've got these emotions, where you've got these memories, where you've also got anger and we're feeling vulnerable and again all of it's coming to the surface what do we do about it what what happens because th this is from a 
psychiatric point of view, for me, it's of particular interest because I think it's also the basis of a number of diseases, isn't it? Absolutely. And as you were saying, I was thinking of the example of physical discipline. Mm. I think let's just say, well, most of the time nowadays, physical discipline is strongly not advised or encouraged in today's parenting style. But let's say 30 years back or 40 years back, it was almost like the norm, at mm. least in the part of the world that I was from. It was very, very common. It's not obviously to the stage where we will ever advocate beating your offspring into like serious injuries or to a pub or to death but you know physical discipline was a thing was nowadays is very much frowned upon and so social service will most likely get involved but what does that really leave in the body i think uh, this is obviously not official data i haven't actually researched this bit at all but i from people that i've spoken to some of them is like actually i learned a very, very valuable lesson from my parents because i really been taught what is acceptable what's not acceptable mm. maybe it's from their parents action or their own action that leading lead that led to the beating mm. some people really frowned upon it as like, i would never lay the hand or finger on my children at all because that was the worst thing that could ever happen to me yeah there are then people who actually nowadays we should bring it back because I think it's a great way to teach children because or offspring just because nowadays we don't we lost that part of the discipline. So right. I think the viewpoint is very varied. Yes, as a society, we more or less you know consent to one view, which is not advocating physical discipline. Mm. But I think individually, as we always kind of go to con, you know converge into the topic, it depends on how we then process the experience itself, how we you know, internalize it and what we think about it nowadays, especially when we become parents ourselves. So the, what you're saying is actually there are obvious cases where blame is definitely the case and, you know, situations that are, you know, completely morally, um, it, it, it's so obvious that it, it, it's right that it's actually wrong. Um, so such as abuse or beating in this way, it, it's things that they're actually at the edge of society. Um, where there is, you know, an aspect of helplessness and also that this sort of, that there is, you know, definite blame, almost that there's a, a legal morality um, to actually blame someone in, in that area. So in that in that case, you'd say it was just, you know, 100% justified. Um, so, because also the, the, like you're saying, there's you're le- there's le- a, a left a mark of a serious trauma that's actually happened, and this poses a number of questions about how survivors operate and also manage back in society with this type of thing. Um, so in this one instance, you know, we're we're talking about that actually blame is very very valid, and almost that uh, actually our society will actually single people out that actually do this and remove them from society as a punishment um, to blame them for it. So in that case. You know, parents can be blamed for that type of behavior, Um, which for me is an extreme sort of behavior that I think morally we all know about. But here we're talking about more of a a middle of the road sort of awareness and situation. We're talking more about sort of this, this, you know, the situations that occur on an everyday basis with regard to, let's say, you know, a parents that didn't know what they were doing, an alcoholic father and a, an abusive mother, the death of a sibling or death of a parent at a particular age, um, not being given love, overloved, underpraised, oversupported, over-controlling, not feeling that you fit in, not getting what you want or what you need. You know, there's these kind of narratives that quite often occur within situations where we find blame occurring within that sort of dynamic of situation. Does that make any sense? 
Yes, and thank you very much for clarifying the the example that I given was more ex- more on the extreme case of the spectrum. Well, um, I, don't, I, I don't, you know, it, 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 I, I think it's really important to clarify that, you know, just to because I think that otherwise, you know, we it's very difficult to have a conversation like this because we, you know, one size doesn't fit all, and what we're talking about needs to be put into context because there are situations that both you and I work with that are exceptionally traumatic, and you know. It's you know it's a very 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 challenging and they shouldn't be left out of this you know because they are part of this absolutely but at the same time I I I think the other side of it is how how we experience trauma how we experience our childhood is completely subjective so on one hand there are all these there are these very extreme cases where abuse and things like that we really is as you said legally not allowed. However, in some type of parenting, and I'm going to choose my wording very carefully from now on, um, actually the experience of the child can still feel very traumatic, despite legally there may not be abuse happening. Mm. As you know, I I was working with a client recently, and she often described her parents being quite neglectful. So mm. not to the stage where her basic need is not met. Like it's not like there's not a roof over her head. There's no warm clothes. There's no food. There's no um, sense of self-care and hygiene. All of these basic needs is met. But the person I'm working with feel like emotionally and psychologically, her her need wasn't met by her parents. She has a neglectful mother and her father was busy with a new relationship and her half-sibling, so on and so forth. So subjectively, she really um, experienced a sense of, neglected and lost in her own childhood and and these are kind of like the middle ground that we were talking about now it's like well yes it's not in the extreme case but what happened when the subjective experience is still so valid and significant but doesn't this with with this sort of thing where we have that subjective experience and we blame so strongly actually when we lay that down we create a narrative don't we and we hold on to that narrative and that narrative can actually be um, it, it can define lots of aspects around our life. And it can also make us make decisions that actually holds us back in our life or it can make us make have perceptions and make decisions which create and uh, 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 us to navigate a course that probably we could have taken differently at an earlier stage. Yes. And. Um... It's this idea and almost that identity that we hold on to sometimes that kind of defines us a little bit further along. But I, ha- I have a thought as well when we're thinking about, you know, should we be blaming our parents and parenting style and all the rest of it? I was thinking, why almost without any exception, everyone I've spoken to their childhood does will be some one type of trauma or bad memories or sadness frustrations anger somewhere i was thinking why is that why is this almost like a universal experience that we have that or at least with the you know limited amount of people i've interacted with so far in my lifetime Mm. i was thinking maybe maybe as a child we all grow up in this with the sense that we are very very self-centered because when we're children we are very self-centered we want we want to be fed we want to have fun we want to be pay attention to and very often we have that because when you're a baby you really get the sense that you know you're being really careful and nurtured and again we're not talking including anyone who's in extreme cases where neglect and abuse are happening mm-hmm. but as we grow older 
there's this concept that needs to be put into us, which is boundaries. We need to learn the concept of no. We need to learn the con concept of being rejected in some way. We need to learn the concept of fail because these are things that are just natural in life, like, like kind of life and death, illness. Yes, these are painful experiences, but we have to be taught it somehow. And I think as parents, it is our responsibility as well to teach children these concepts because we are the closest contact that they have and we are most often the first contact they will have. Mm -hmm. So actually then we kind of got into a dilemma where we want to love them unconditionally, love children, sorry, unconditionally, give them everything. But that also includes some part of the boundaries that is inside the world. That also includes sometimes the negative aspect that is inside the world, including rejections, including hurt, including being misunderstood. Um, so I, I just had this tangent thoughts in my head. It's like, is that also why we have these experiences? I don't know. Yeah, but we've, it's, it's also to do with the proximity of the relationship as well, because quite often it's, it's 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 easier to blame someone that is very very close to you. So there's a there is a proximity of this, and also you're under the control of someone else. You know, there is this aspect of control and and this movement from you being one person and growing into another person within the pro other people's proximity. And so there is these aspects that are going on. Um, I think that blame is interesting because it, it moves or transfers the emotion of something onto something else. So actually the action of blame is a, a movement transference of emotion that, where you hold very tightly something else you're to blame you you move it over you hold it very tightly i don't know if that makes any sense so for me this is this mechanism where there is an actually attachment in place something is right something is wrong i've wanted something i you know that this is so for me there's a stickiness of this um can i just ask a, a member of our audience um just could you explain just something about blame a little bit more to me um a realization that you had about blame Are you talking to me? I am indeed. I thought you were. <laughs> Sorry. Because you just said something very interesting to me, um, is, is that you you realised about um, how powerful blame was in your life with regard to a narrative or story that you created. Yeah, yeah. I was talking about um, uh, uh, my sister and I'd sort of created this sort of thought and narrative that she... Uh, uh, is unsupportive to me in a way, or uh, or doesn't, or, or or cuts me down, or doesn't uh, listen, or that, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think uh, there was one situation that I kind of realised that it wasn't anything to do with her, <laughs> in a way. It's, it's interesting because what you saw within the relationship was you actually saw everything you saw actually reinforced the way that you were blaming her. Yes. Yeah, it did exactly. Um, was it because I was thinking about when um, uh, when she had her first child and uh, she, I uh, she she asked me to come back from Australia for her first child, and so I did, but also for other reasons. Um, but I came back at that date, so for her child. So I was supporting her. I felt I was supporting her, and I'd made quite a big thing. And then um, when I had my my first child, um, 
I felt on, I, I felt very alone because there wasn't anybody there um, with me at the time. But I had actually then sort of thinking about it. She had said there should be someone in that. Do you want me to be in, be with you? And I'd said no. So in fact, I had pushed her away at that point. Mm. And that's those sort of feelings of being unsupported was actually me. So is that what you the the? Uh... Yeah. So it's, it's interesting how, but also how you carried the blame around that and. There was a narrative that you have difficulty with your sister, and and it was her fault, and actually it was on that side. So that is it's quite interesting how the how we kind of how we realise about how we're involved in this or how we hold on to the the blame aspect of it. Does that make sense? Yeah, because it was quite a powerful moment for you to discover that. Mm, yeah, definitely. That I, yeah, the blame was. I'd put onto her was in fact I could then put it onto me but then I then I was talking to you about the struggle of sort of like well now I'm to blame how do you how do I deal with that <laughs> yeah because that's the interesting thing do you see what I mean because the moment you stop blaming someone else and you kind of go oh it wasn't them at all where mm-hmm. what do you do with that emotion that feeling what what where do you where do you point it where do you direct it and you know like you said to me is is that it's it, you immediately that you realized that where did you go you took it right the way and you turned it into yourself and so yeah. the blame went right into you and that i found very interesting because it, it is it all about that someone is right and something is wrong and is it that necessarily the other person is to blame is it that you're all to blame what is it that we want in all of this? What's going on? You know what I mean? This is the kind of questioning is, is like what's going on in all of this as we're, as we're going through this mm. and how do we resolve it? I think the interesting thing in that conversation as well was that I sort of turned it on to myself, but then you said something, what was it? You said like, um, this is an opportunity to, you actually, that I, then the power is mine to, to uh, change a situation or whatever. And instead of thinking of it as a negative, thinking of it as a positive, and therefore, um, I don't think I'm... Yeah, no, so, so what you're saying is very interesting, because what's happening is that the moment we blame someone else is almost that we give power away to someone else in that process of blame. Mm. We actually give power away by actually blaming someone else and focusing very hard on that. It creates an energy, a sort of a power. And by also blaming ourselves, what do we do? We actually, we, we you know... It, it's like we short circuit the whole thing and we cause a a lot of a lot of problems with power as well don't we yeah stanford thank you so much for that was really really useful stanford what's your thinking with regard to this because we've got this aspect of blame um and thank you so much for um, explaining that because it was really, really useful. Um, we've got this aspect of blame. We've got um, a valid emotion involved in the whole process because it means that there is there is some kind of emotion there, as you were saying earlier. There's some emotion, there's some memories. There's a feeling that is valid, but we're putting it onto someone or something for a particular reason. And we construct that reason And we believe that that reason to be very true. And in some instances, it is true. But in other instances, actually, it's not true, as we've just seen. I I think I think in a lot of ways, the human brain, human mind is very good at categorizing everything like we discussed before is 
has to be right or wrong has to be either or because of me or, or because of the other person because it's the almost the easiest way for us to consider matters and questions and contemplate and answer um we were having this chat with someone else as well just recently and over the weekend it was about motherhood wasn't it it was about how yes um this person that we had met really really enjoys motherhood but at the same time she's also exposing and being very very honest exposing a lot of vulnerability worries and feeling trapped and it's so interesting the discussion afterward almost there's a split in the room where one side take oh but she's really really happy she's really enjoying it and the other side's like oh but she's really trapped she's really worried i'm actually genuinely worried about this person and i was sitting there thinking but she is both um maybe because i'm a male in the room i i, I kind of see it with a slightly different eyes it's like well actually she is holding both and i know it's a very difficult concept almost because our brain just really like things in the binary sense zero or one mm-hmm. actually having that middle ground where thinking actually you're holding both possibility at the same time is very hard so usually when blame happens this is in my experience you know we want to point the finger almost as you said we we gave the power away someone else caused this is not my doing mm-hmm. Because that means you absolve yourself from the responsibility. You don't have to do anything about it. Actually, you can just keep pointing the fingers. And almost in some way, it's it's quite satisfying. Oh, this is not me. I did nothing wrong. I was perfect. I was good. And it was the other person. And at some stage, we have this flip and realize, oh, actually, I'm the the person who caused it. It, it. It was me. And I, I almost at one point, I think like a few years ago, I really want to write a book called Why Is It Always Fucking Me? Because literally I was thinking all about all my own problems. And I always thinking, oh, it's me again. Oh, yes, I didn't ask again. I said that thing again. Oh, yes, I kind of, oh, it's always me. Why? I thought it was everyone else's fault. It's my fault. And then now I think now just listening to your interaction um, just now made me think, actually need to think about, no, I'm not audibly blamed i played a part the other person also played the part but then now really have to be realistic and think about then how can i change it yes i can't always change other people but i can change myself so yes i don't take all the blame but i need to take the responsibility that i and also the power as you said to actually move forward but what what is it's quite interesting because you've actually you've stepped forward through a number of different steps which i think is brilliant because actually often with blame, the starting point is it helps us to form a story that we call truth. And so with blame, we we start the story that we call truth, and it's our perception of the world. And it's a narrative. And so the story in the narrative, like I was brought up in an abusive family, it, it, it's, it's, there's a valid emotion there, but we put that with a narrative. Now, does anyone or does everyone get to a stage where they question that story or that narrative? And that's, for me, the first question is that I think that actually it's remarkable to be able to question it. I think that actually the first point within any type of movement of emotion is to understand the energy of that emotion like blame and blame someone that is actually the starting point for things. So if I look at the text like the Bhagavad Gita, is there is always this blame at the very beginning, there's blame and excuses. It's a starting point of a journey. 
And I think that the starting point of a journey is very important because it, it means that you're open to questioning things. But I think that what we see is blame is being fixed and blaming someone and remaining fixed to it is actually causing a huge problem. Whereas if we see blame as the start of a journey and just like actually the fact that I'm blaming means that something is moving and not getting fixed without holding on to that point of who we're blaming and what we're blaming, but to see it as a kind of like a point or a movement, I think that could be quite interesting. Um, because actually there's there's coping mechanisms that we're putting in place to to navigate and and you know what we're feeling my, my question to you will be then where and when should this contemplation and reflection really happen i ask because um let's take one example which is like really high express emotion in mm. family uh meaning like there's a lot of criticism maybe there's a lot of um uh, hostility, emotionally over-involvement between family members and the person. And often, this, uh, this is my work in mental health and psychiatry with the patients, uh, because we know actually that can increase the risk of like a relapse of certain uh, mental health disorder, namely this one is uh, schizophrenia. Mm. But I, I really agree with you that there, there at one point, hopefully we get to a stage where we can start thinking, Oh, are we blaming other people? Are we blaming ourselves? Whether the blame and the power really lies. Mm -hmm. But I'm just thinking, oh, for people who are in these specific situations or people who are still overly involved with things that they're blaming, like they're pointing the fingers towards, mm -hmm. is it quite difficult to start contemplating? M massively difficult because contemplation is something that has to come from a stable place of mind. And the, and the issue is that we try and contemplate and reflect on things from an unstable place of mind, which means we add to the thing that we're contemplating and reflecting on with instability and with what we're actually projecting on. So it actually increases the issue. So what if we looked at it as a process of detachment where we started to look at, okay, how do we change the situation what time frames can we work with because actually when you're working with blame you're actually touching your belief system what you actually believe it and it's one of the hardest things to change so why are you trying to start changing that first of all you actually need to get some easy wins under your belt so i think the easy wins are to do with our engagement with the situation and to try and get some mental stability first so that you can begin to process before you actually go in and try and hit things head on. Does that make any sense? Yeah, so we almost need to get to a place where we're not blaming so much so that we can start contemplating why were we blaming so much before. Exactly. Otherwise, it's like someone telling you to, the you know, that annoying thing, you know, let go, just let go of it. <laughs> go on, go on, you can let go. It's like, if you say to me, let go once more, I'm going to bite you. You know, it, you know, you can't, when you're in that state of mind, there's no way you can do those other things, is there? You know, you just can't do it. My worst one is calm down. I think in communication skill 101 in that lecture was like, never tell an angry patient or relative calm down because that will have the exact opposite effect. <laughs> yeah. but, but it's funny because I, I was talking to someone earlier on today about, um, you know, salespeople and, and you know, and, and just buying something because actually it comes with a lot of caveats. You know, we'll do this work for you, but we're not responsible for this, 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 or this, or this, 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 and this, and this. And they said it increases my anxiety, so I don't want to buy that thing. And I think the same is true here, is that actually we need to reduce the anxiety. We need to reduce all the stress before we can reflect on it. We want someone to turn around and say, it's going to be okay. 
we've been through this before. We need to take a few steps. What we're not going to do is we're not going to focus on the blame. We're not going to increase the blame. We're not going to go with he said, she said, they did this wrong. They did that. All of this in the beginning of the Bhagavad Gita, which is a conflict text, is discussed. Everyone's pointing fingers everywhere and it gets no one anywhere. And no one knows actually what to do in life. And so when you've got blame, it keeps you trapped in that web of pointing fingers and taking sides and doing things. And actually, you can't see what's going on. You cannot see anything. So almost like because of the proximity we have with our parents or family, mm. there will always be an element of blame, you know, at least at least from the very beginning of our lifetime. Mm. And in some way I'm hearing we need to help the person to gain some success in independence, like mm. they, they, they being able to support themselves in some way. Mm. And then slowly from there on, once they're in a stable place, they can start contemplating actually what part of responsibility is theirs, what part of responsibility is from the family and parents, and how to move forward from there. Correct. There is a there is a fast track way to do it for those of you listening who want a fast track way. I'm adopted. It was a fast track way of doing this. You know, I didn't I was able to navigate that process very quickly because I didn't have to blame my parents for that. But then I had abandonment issues. So that, that came as a different thing. <laughs> So there's a fast track way, but there's still a price. To yeah, be exactly. But this is, I think that's quite the, the interesting thing is that it, 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 there isn't a fast track way for any of these things. Do you know what I mean? Because actually it, it, it's something when you start to really look at your life, often when you get distance from things in your life and things start to come up, you know, they start to come up and it's so easy to, to point fingers and to do all these different things. That's the easy thing. The difficult thing is actually what to do with the emotions and to do with the feelings and to, you know, how do we resolve this? How do we get through this? Um, because in a way, it, it, in one way, we, we, we hold on to the blame and the story. But what do we do with the anger? What do we do with this? Do we, you know, do we suppress it? Do we let it squeak out through passive aggressiveness in our family situations so that, oh, look, it's my mother calling again? You know, is it is it that how do we get success? I mean, or how do we play the victim within all of this? I, I think it's uh so interesting because I was just about to bring up that word as well, suppress and also repress. Mm. It's another very easy way to do it is. Oh, but I understand they did the best they can. Oh, you know, when we get older, it's like, but they did they did the best they can. They they done all they can already. I forgive them. Mm -hmm. But then as you talk to people, and I'm not limiting to client, I'm just talking in general, talking to people, you can still get a sense that they're angry. Um since since you brought up your own history, I'll bring up a little bit of my own history as well. So I, I was raised in a single parent family. So one of my parents has left the family very, very earlier on. <laughs> And I remember a conversation with a friend once about 18, 20, 21. Mm. Um, so that was at least a good 15 years, if not more, since my parent has walked out of the family. Mm. I was like, well, actually, I, I no longer really think about him anymore because I don't need to. I, you know, he's not in my life. I don't really think about my dad anymore. And as the conversation go gets on, we realize I'm actually really rather angry still. Like, I'm still blaming him on certain things. That's why what this is that happened in my family. That's why this happened in my life. Mm. And actually, it is also very easy to just say, oh, but I understand because I'm older now. I'm more mature. I have wisdom now. I understand they did the best they can. They didn't mean to. They didn't intend to. 
but in a way is also a mechanism of suppressing and repressing it. So, so by saying it's the way that it is, you know, oh, it's just the way it is, um, or I forgive them, or I understand. You know, to, it's interesting you say that because in yoga, it, we we say that you really have processed something that you genuinely have let let go or forgiven someone when there is no pull at all from your heart around that situation. It means you can talk about it, and there isn't any pull in any which you know direction, shape, and form. It 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 means that you've actually come to terms with it fully. And that you can actually use those words to say, actually, I've forgiven them. You know, no matter what they do, no matter what they say, they won't be able to trigger you. No matter how you go over the situation or explain it or talk about it, you know, you're not triggered by it. And I think for me, that is almost the goal that we're looking for within this. They say there's no thirst of the guna anymore. And the guna is the this kind of this pull that comes from this type of situation. And it's the given as a as a as a the highest form of detachment so you're able to navigate discuss talk about the situation walk around the situation reflect on it you're able to kind of stand with it sit with it do all those things you're not you just kind of you you are a human being you're not suppressing or repressing you don't have to use terminology you can be vulnerable around it do you, do you does that make sense? So that's for me, that's the kind of goal of where we get to. And the starting point is the blame. You know, you're kind of you're at the blame bit, and that's the starting point. That's actually the kind of like, and the awareness that comes with the blame is the second step because you're starting to be aware of the whole sort of the, the kind of the forwards, backwards, and then suddenly you're kind of like you're aware that you were doing that, and then suddenly you're aware that you're doing this, pointing it to yourself. And that's where the things start to become fun. That's where you start to become much freer. And you start to be able to realize that you're able to experiment with things and, and look at things and perceive things differently. Also realizing that at some point I'm going to talk to you about my family too. That'll be a very interesting chat. Um <laughs> should we do one on family? <laughs> why not why not <laughs> like on thanksgiving day or something like that yeah, exactly <laughs> i think but i think the other reassuring things i'm not trying to sugarcoat it I, the other yeah. more reassuring things that i think is another thing you taught me is like in yoga how it explained life exists because there's the imbalance in the guna as you as you said earlier on like the, at, the, at the highest form yes you can get to that stage but actually life exists because there's an imbalance so actually yeah. our very existence depends on this so actually if you're still kind of in this mucky stucky sticky ground that i was describing sometimes i kind of just comfort myself and not not giving my me myself a, a way out but just reminding myself but this is the human condition and it's also okay to have a human condition because i'm a human being yeah yeah it is it's it, the, the fact that we exist the fact that we exist it, it is because there is an imbalance and that that's what i really love um when we talk about constitution you know it's, you know we talk about constitution of a body and we talk about the constitution of a body and the constitution is given as the word dosha in sanskrit and this word dosha it means fault it means mistake it means imperfection and so our constitution in Sanskrit is defined as a fault, a mistake, an imperfection. And that defines our constitutional identity. It means that we are faulty, we are imperfect. And it's interesting that, that 
the concept of dosha, it actually preserves an organism. It preserves this organism's rhythm and its harmony, but also the concept of dosha actually disturbs it and aggravates it too. And when we look at the quality of the mind, it's exactly the same, is that actually the mind exists because of an imperfection. We exist because we are imperfect. And that, for me, is the most mind-blowing thing, because, you know, if there was perfection, there would be no life, according to this Eastern philosophy. I agree. And, well, at least I agree because of my own experience. And I remember you were saying as well recently about how there's three types of prakriti that forms when we are, well, before we're conceived, Mm -hmm. during pregnancy, and also when we're born. So there's one prakriti when the male and the female sex cells join together in the conception. There's one during pregnancy and one at birth. Mm -hmm. I was thinking as well, when you talked about that, can I blame my parents about my birthday as well then? Because in some way, in the in the really traditional Western medicine, mm. you actually we used to need to learn about astrology as well, because medical astrology is a real thing where you learn about a person's almost as you said, constitution, mm. like what their predisposition predisposition is going to be like and all the rest of it. It was a very, very old um study that later on get filtered out because it's less evidence-based. Um because everyone have a different birthday, it's very, very hard to standardize. Um, but yeah, should we blame our parents for our birthday as well? I, I think that it's a, a good idea to stick it on the list, especially, especially as we, um, especially now that we have so many. I mean, when you were doing the obstetrician work did you did you get a lot of requests for having cesarean sections and for you know making it during a good time of day so that someone could be home in the afternoon or they can so actually there was a kind of almost a forced birth time the most amazing one is we have to avoid this day because oh well we have to pick this specific day because the day before reminds someone of the person that they really dislike is the same birthday the day after, I think it's the birthday of their parents, one of their parents, because then that would create too much problem. So we have to really schedule the cesarean section on that one day that's in between, and any other day wouldn't be acceptable. Wow. So I think know, I think it's already looking forward to that birthday party for the next <laughs> 18 years at least. Exactly. Well, I think that was the other thing as well, because in, in a lot of days, which is why I say, and again, I do apologize, um, disclaimer, if this is going to trigger anyone. I think especially in psychiatry, um, what I've observed over the last few years, uh, event, um, event day like Christmas is actually incredibly triggering. I observed it a lot in inpatient setting. I observed it a lot in outpatient setting as well, where I think because in the Western society, culture and tradition, Christmas is such a big day. You know, ever since we're young, we've been told we go to mass or church or celebration. There's turkey, there's lamb, there's something. And it's a time when all the family joins together, even though you few may not actually see each other or even speak to each other for the whole year, the rest of the year, you meet each other in the same day. And there's a lot of tethering and memory and everything tied into that one day. So sometimes it's not just even the the person that we're bringing, sometimes it's actually the date that we are having all these attachment to interesting it's it's a so in in a positive way blame is the recognition of a source of suffering or pain you know or it's the that 
not just the source, but actually there is some suffering and pain and we're looking to alleviate it from us. Um, so it can be an excuse. It can be that we don't want to take our responsibility for our part in things. It means that there is some kind of awareness that is in place and that's actually the beginning. Um, we're starting to see a thread back to a point or an experience because that comes to the surface. You know, I, I always say to people, you know, I'm, I'm a donut. And so there's a kind of a thread that goes back to a point where you kind of go, yeah, that was me, I'm a donut. Um, but that thread back makes us feel vulnerable in a particular way. It makes us feel also unstable as well. And we want to hold on to something based on, you know, this this vision or this, this kind of thread back, this idea of what we've seen. So we want to attach onto something. So there becomes some form of more attachment um, and we're trying to make sense of things when we're blaming as well aren't we we're we actually trying to make sense of you know we're, we're trying to we're trying to we're trying to come to terms with something and we're trying to and it takes time for that to happen and it also is about constant work as well there's got to be some ongoing work that is involved yeah, I think when we're blaming that there, there is a there has to be a mission of hurt, which is mm. actually a lot of the time very difficult to come to terms mm. with. I'm actually hurting. That's why I'm pointing the finger. I'm actually not OK with this. I'm actually angry. I'm depressed. I'm sad about this. Mm. And that that coming to terms is the first step. Mm. And then trying to then find the reason why I'm hurting. Is the next one and it's as as you said it's difficult because when you're hurting is not a stable place it's not a good place to figure things out but unfortunately that's the place that a lot of time we find ourselves in so we have to soldier on we have to find things to really uh relieve ourselves a little bit make it slightly better so that we can inch towards a stabler or happier place then hopefully at some stage we can figure out why we're hurting in the first place I, i've actually met a number of people that are, are actually comfortable with the blame that they've got in place and they actually don't want to move that blame they want to keep that blame as a protective mechanism in place so even though that they are able to see the cause of it and to articulate the cause of it and discuss the cause of it if you try and bust them or get them to move from that they tend to run away or they tend to repeat the same patterns again and again and again, which is a coping mechanism. So I've actually seen numbers of cases of people who have this very, very strong blame accent going on, do the cause of it, but use it as a protective mechanism in order to stop there being any movement whatsoever. And anyone that tries to outmaneuver it and doesn't go alongside them gets axed. It's interesting. Like, or as you always say, as, as a therapist, especially as a yoga therapist, we have to work out very quickly what are the things that you can touch and what are the things that you can't mm. touch, what are the things that we can change and what are the things that we can't change mm. and work along with the things only we can change. And this becomes interesting because it, 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 in one way, when we're looking at genetics, as we did earlier today, you there are certain things that you can't change. You know, you, you, you know unless you can do... The, is it gene editing? You can do some gene editing. 
I personally can't. <laughs> I'm a math scientist. I'm really madly, crazily smart scientist can. Yeah, I think I think you can get the equipment quite freely on the internet now. So, I mean, we can experiment with some gene editing with regard to dealing with some of the hereditary issues that we've got. Um, that was a joke, by the way, for anyone listening. Um, it, it's... I was going to say, I'm going to get it for a prime delivery. <laughs> so, in one way... We've, we, we've got our this one set of patterns. In another way, we're being told and we're taught many things. It's possible that we're able to adjust our belief system and change our belief system. And it's also possible for us to change the way that we've created mechanisms and beliefs to navigate the world. So it means that actually we've got huge opportunities to actually change and to change a narrative from being blame to free ourselves from that kind of that huge rocks that we're putting around our neck and holding us down so i think there's a huge opportunity in those areas i don't know what you think yes and i think like the genetic example that you've given i i got a great one from that which is you have genetic conditions such as i don't know down syndromes or cystic fibrosis where as you said these are the things that you got inherited and unfortunately you can't really change yes you can manage it and make it better but you can't change the person from who they are but at the same time there's this concept of epigenetic where it applied to a lot of conditions such as diabetes such as forms of cancer like the mm. really famous cancer gene, which is BRCA1, which predisposed mm. to a lot of cancer that we have more and more uh, better understood and discover, such as breast cancer. Not everyone who carries the gene will actually automatically have breast cancer. This is mm. BRCA1. But actually, yes, it increases the risk. But there are things that you we can still do, um, sometimes maybe surgically, but sometimes it can be as simple as um, reducing smoking or certain lifestyle modification there are still things as you said colin like I'm, I'm using a genetic example to you know hopefully agreeing with your gen more broader example there are still a lot of potential and things that we can do to change things that we can mm. if we don't want the outcome mm. thank you what, what would be your what would be your takeaway from today have our have our parents survived blame is it too easy just to blame them and to transfer our anger onto them? Does it disempower us? Is it, does it remove responsibility from us and put it onto someone else? I think my parents have survived it. Okay. It is easier to blame them mm -hmm. and transfer my anger and frustration onto them. Mm -hmm. It does remove a little bit of responsibility and power for me. And it will be better if I can slowly find a stable place to work towards not blaming anyone, neither them nor myself, but actually come to a stable place of realizing what is causing the issue. Right. So the biggest question is, how do we interact with ourselves and also others to live our lives fully without blame and anger? There you go. Can't say it better than you have. Thank you so much for tonight, Stanford. Thank you. Thank um, you for listening as well, and for those of you who have spoken up. Thank you. And um, I think we're going to meet next time, and we're going to we're going to discuss distraction. Maybe. Let's see if we can stay focused on that. I doubt it. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely to see you all. Bye-bye.
Thank you.